Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is your host, Mike Abadir, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gino Bicola. Good morning, Gino. How are you, my friend? Oh, doing very well, Mikey. Glad to be back with you. Uh, lots going on today. We we talked last week a lot about uh, baseball because we had a, a couple moves that we weren't sure who was going to go where. We saw Boone go to the Yankees, and then we also saw Stanton go to the Yankees. So can you imagine what kind of a, uh, a Bronx Bombers lineup they're going to have with Judge Stanton and even guys like Sanchez in the lineup too with right field in that short porch that is going to be a very very difficult lineup to get out in the coming years Mike Mo- modern day murderers row I'll tell you that and I hate it because I'm a big time Red Sox fan but it's going to be fun to watch that's for sure and the other guy we were talking about was uh the incredible Asian pitcher Shohei Otani who is going to be lining up now in Orange County over and playing for the Angels he, d- he does seem to have some damage, though. They found out that he seems to have a damaged ligament in his pitching elbow. Going to be interesting to see how he ends up playing. I know that as a fantasy baseball player, they basically said that he's broken the system. They've never had a player who is a hitter and a pitcher, so they're not sure what they're going to do. They might actually have Shohei Otani be two separate players in fantasy baseball. One one person might have him as the pitcher. The other person might have him as the DH hitter. So he's already breaking the system here in the United States. I'll tell you what, though. When you hit 102 on the radar gun, first time through the American League, second time through the American League, I'll take him as a fantasy pitcher over a hitter, at least during the beginning of the season. Yeah, at least till they figure him out a little bit. But uh, it's going to be fun because it's going to get a little buzz down there in the OC and you're going to you're gonna pay me the big bucks for this transition, Mikey, because our first guest that we have, he's down in the OC with a big weekend of racing coming up. Yes, yes. It's, it's probably one of my all-time favorite horse racing announcers. You've heard him over the years, even dating back to Bay Meadows and Hollywood Park, but he's most known for being the longtime voice of Los Alamitos Racecourse. He is the one and only Ed Burgart. Good morning, Ed. It is an honor to have you on the show with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. You, well, you're worthy of the introduction. And, you know, one of the things that's always impressed me about you, whether it be on the Los Al, uh, you know, replay show or, or the, the weekend shows or seeing you on TVG is how ultra prepared you are. It seems like off the top of your head, you know, the entire, you know, population of quarter horses. And so talking quarter horse racing with you is, is really exciting for me. And I want to get started right away with the Big weekend upcoming here. And it starts off, I know everybody's focused more on Saturday and Sunday, but we've got a big race on Friday. The great $275,000 SoCal Derby. That should be a good race as well, contested for 400 yards. We've got a lot of blues man on the outside with a 10 post. Can he be beat? Well, I'll tell you what, my opinion is if a lot of blues man was in the champion of champions, he was the only horse I thought might be able to beat either he's a dash of fire or BH Lisa's boy. So I would think he should be able to handle these horses pretty easily. He's been superlative since Cesar D'Alba got aboard him two outs ago. He won the Golden State Million last year and should have won the Los Alamitos two million. He's back to form and his trial win was as impressive as 
any victory I've seen in a while. So to answer your question, he'd have to make a huge mistake to lose. Well, judging by the morning lines, it looks like nobody else really has much of a shot. Kissed by an eagle is, is the second choice, a four to one, followed by Cartel Six is an eight to one. I mean, how do we round up the uh, Superfecta or or the underneath place? Well, I actually picked the six horse Seer to finish second in my selections. He's going to be a good price and missed the break by over a length and a quarter last time out, and I thought should have won the trial. Kissed by an eagle definitely on form is the second best horse, but if you take a look at his past performance lines. He never comes back and runs quite as good in the finals as he does in the trials, and I think he's probably reached his peak for this year. So looking for a prize there, I thought Seward had a good chance to finish second. Okay, well, that's a pretty good uh, analysis of the Friday night races. Let me ask you, Ed, uh, before we get into the specifics, you've called so many races, probably thousands of races at Los Alamitos, and what's always impressed me is how enthusiastic and excited you are about these race calls. But it seems to me like you take it up a notch for these big races, the Champion of Champions and the $2 million Futurity race. Are these your favorite two races to call during the course of the year? Well, by far the Champion of Champions is my favorite race. The $2 million's close to it, but the Champion of Champions has always probably been the race that stands out of my mind most because... The first uh, champion of champions I call, it seems like yesterday, and that was back in 1981 when Denim and Diamonds beat Sgt. Pepper Feature, and that's when I had the honor of meeting R.D. Hubbard after the races. So the champion of champions has always been the premier race for the older horses. So obviously I think if you talk to any announcer, you know, talk to Larry Kalmus or Trevor, you always try to bring it up a notch for the big races and try to still make the other races exciting. But the big races, I think, deserve a little bit more attention. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So once again, before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, what are some of the big storylines involving this year's editions of uh, both of the big races? Well, as far as the champion of champions goes this year, obviously he's a dash of fire, won the champion of champions back in 2015 and zooming for spuds won it last year. So they're both back in BH Lisa's boys going for his seventh consecutive victory. And uh, interestingly, he had minor knee surgery after he won the vessels maturity in early July came back and worked 220 yards out of the gate to get ready for a start in the Z. Wayne Griffin Director's Trials, which he did not need to win because he was already in the Champion of Champions. But the trainer, Bill Holberg, thought he was going to need an outing. So he's really come along nicely for this race. So I think those are the three horses you're going to probably want to watch as far as storylines go. And you have the Fiscal Cliff, who's coming in from Prairie Meadows, the unknown factor, won the Bank of America Challenge Championship and has only been off the board one time in his career. Whether he's this good remains to be seen, but he's going to be the big question mark. Shazak is the only three-year-old in the race. Uh, I've always thought that Cody Jensen is one of the more underrated big, uh, big race riders. Uh, what, what are your? Well, let me ask you. I haven't seen the morning lines yet. Uh, who, who have you dubbed as the morning line favorite? Is that he's a dash of fire? I've got he's a dash of fire at one to one. I've got BH Lisa's boy at two to one. The fiscal cliff at eight to one and Shazak at ten to one. I just don't know if Shazak is a four hundred and forty yard horse. And Jaime Gomez, the trainer, he's got his question marks as well. But uh, the horse is doing well. He had the outside post when he won the Super Derby. I thought the field was a little bit soft this year for the Super Derby, and this will be a test for him as far as class goes. And just I just don't think he's quite this good. But uh, I've been fooled before. That's horse racing. <laughs> <You know laughs> Absolutely. 
I sure do. And, you know, I, I love the fact that we've got the 2015 world champion, of course, going up against last year's winner, Zooming for Spuds. It makes for, uh, you know, an interesting grudge match, so to speak. But I, I, I like these big races because it seems like the Superfecta usually pays really well, even when you have it being a little bit shocky near the top. I've seen these things pay in the thousands. Well, and this year in particular, you're going to have two horses that are going to be probably four to five and five to two, and everybody else would be double digits. If one of those two favorites does not hit the board, uh, it's really going to open up the mutuals underneath. So, you know, I think a lot of people might want to key the two favorites on top and hope that somebody will split them in the second and third spots, and that way your superfecta or trifecta is going to pay nicely. Now, you guys had the uh, the draw yesterday. It was televised on TVG. What, what would be some of the strategy involved? Obviously, I know a little bit about the rail, especially when it comes to the youngsters. Um, outside post is typically most favorable. You get clear of any kind of traffic trouble. But how do you select the horses from two to nine? Well, the interesting part yesterday was when we drew for the Los Alamitos 2 million futurity, Jaime Gomez had the third selection for his horse, J-Far Up, and he took the rail, which kind of caught everybody off guard because everybody tries to avoid the rail. But Jaime won it with the J-Fire Up and the Governor's Cup Futurity. Had the two-hole when he won the Golden State Million. The horse tends to lug inward, and when that happens, you want to have clearance. You don't want to be caught between horses where you have to try to correct the horse. So he opted for the one-hole, and I thought the draw for the champion of champions was interesting because uh, Jose Flores had the first pick with uh, the horse that called Mr. PYC to you, who's 50-1 to in the morning line. I know he took the 10-hole just to make sure B.H. Lisa's boy did not get the 10-hole because B.H. Lisa's boy's connections had the second pick, so they ended up with the 9 selection. So there's always strategy going on when you're selecting your positions to find out which horses you're around, what their tendencies are to come in and out of the gate, and I think that played a big role in the post-position selection process uh, here yesterday. And uh, one of my favorite things about this weekend is, you know, someone who's lived in Southern California their whole life. Los Al has always kind of been, um, it's, a, it's a fun place to go out on the weekends on, on the Friday night racing, but it's more of a laid back type racetrack. That is really not the case this weekend because this weekend the races are packed. The energy is is unlike anything else. It's, you know, it's like the big days at any racetrack, and you really see people, everyone coming out to support uh, the sport of quarter horse racing and with all the big names. You mentioned some of the big names in the Champion of Champions who are going to be some of the future big names, some of these two-year-olds that we're going to be looking forward to on Sunday. Uh, give us a couple who you think could be real big stars in the making. Well, Jay Fire Up is the 8-5 to five favorite. It's already won the Governor's Cup Futurity and won the Golden State Million. Uh, Mike Robbins has two on the race, and the second choice is Call Me Cole, who drew the outside post that Mike wanted. And this horse has been awkward out of the gate and early in his career, but it looks like he's finally putting it all together. And a horse who I thought almost won the Golden State Million, Matilda Check, been finishing huge in all of the races, and the distance is certainly going to be up her alley. So those are going to be the three logical contenders. They'll, everybody else is going to be pretty big numbers mutual-wise, but I would think that Jay fire up and Call Me Call are the ones that are going to make a lot of noise next year, especially Call Me Call because he's big-bodied and just learning the game. He was uh, lightly raced earlier in the year, and he's the one who appears to be peaking at the right time. Yeah. Another horse that might be peaking a little bit, Ed, am I crazy to maybe uh, jump on the bandwagon for Mooney Blues? I liked how he crushed the last time out, and uh, it seems like Eduardo Nicasio kind of gets up for these big days. I just don't know how good that horse is. It was an awfully soft trial 
feel that uh, Mooney Blues was in. And the time before, when winning the Wild West Futurity, the big favorite in the race was a horse called Yankee, who completely got annihilated out of the gate. And I don't think Mooney Blues would have won the Wild West had Yankee been in the field because Yankee had easily had the fastest qualifying time going in. So Mooney Blues is quick from the gate. I don't think she's quite up to the caliber going 400 yards against these type of horses. Uh, but that's just my opinion there. So based on, on what you're saying, it sounds to me like Call Me Cold, Jay Fire Up, Matilda Check, those are those are the, the three that kind of have separated themselves from the rest of the class? I mean, that's the way I feel just off the visual impressions of their trial wins. Matilda Check uh, broke over a length slow and was still able to win easily. Had to be ridden pretty hard, though, by Cruz Mendez. But if you watch the videotapes, the ones who made no mistakes, Jay Fire Up and Call Me Cold, and I would think one of those two. I'd be surprised if one of those two didn't win, just like in the champion of champions. But, again, you're looking at uh, the you know trifectas and superfectas, and there are price horses. Uh, Mooney Blues, obviously the one of the ones you mentioned, a uh, horse called Ditto Head, who was impressive in winning the final trial. So there's a few long shots. And a horse called Scoopy Jess, if you're looking for somebody who might be able to upset the top contenders, won very impressive, impressively the last two times out for Brett Vickery. And this horse is getting better with each start. So maybe Scoopy Jess is the one I would say throw in there for, an, for a long shot. That sounds good. And I'm going to ask a question that's a little bit of a spinoff from what Gino asked you, which is, overall, how does this year's two-year-old crop kind of stack up with the last few years' crops of youngsters? You know, it, it's it's a good crop. I, You know, last year's crop, we had a lot of blues, man. We had worth doing. Now, worth doing, uh, I'm... Think got injured, has not come back and run this year. Shazak was in last year, and of course, Shazak won this year's Super Derby. And uh, the other horse, uh, Lotta Blues Man, uh, is a big favorite in the Southern California Derby. But it's really hard to compare until they run next year to see how they come back and perform as three year olds. And I think people do the same thing with the thoroughbreds. They try to compare uh, each year's generation, and it's really hard to do that until they come back and prove themselves the following year. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I know you're limited on, on time, uh, Ed. You've got a, uh, some things to get to at the bottom of the hour here. But before we let you go, let me ask you if uh, you've got any thoughts on some of the thoroughbred races uh, starting today and, and on through the weekend. Well, we've got the 10-race uh, program on Saturday. Today's car, we have a pick-six carryover of more than $33,000, and we'll start that on race four. Obviously, because of the tragic situation at San Luis Rey last week, we uh, canceled the races last Friday during the daytime, so we're trying to make up some of those races this week. So, you know, if you're looking for a play today, if that's what you're asking for, I think Profit in Paradise is a standout in the first race. That's my best bet. I call this horse at nighttime, and horses won during the daytime. There's not a lot of speed in the field, so I'm looking at Profit in Paradise to kick off the pick five and maybe make us some uh, money to play into the pick six. Awesome. And this weekend there's a big contest as well on Saturday, right? Yeah, there's a live money contest, handicapping contest. Uh, don't, I don't have all the details. I, if it's set up the same as it was last week, it's a live cash contest, and there's uh, positions up to get into the National Handicapping Championship in Las Vegas. But uh, we had three qualifiers from last week, and we'll be having another qualifying tournament here this Saturday. Well, that sounds good, and I'm sure if anybody wants additional information on that, they could go to Los Alamitos' website, losalamitos.com. Yeah, we'll send that out, Mike, too. We'll, uh, we'll tweet yep. the link out for the NHC uh, qualifier this weekend. Perfect. Well, Ed, I know you got to get two things here, so we want to thank you for coming on board and giving us uh, some really good analysis for the big races this weekend. Good luck with the race calls, and we'll be excited. I'm planning myself to come out there and hope that everybody that's listening that's in Southern California has got a chance to, to make it out to catch some of the live races during the daytime and especially at nighttime. 
Thanks, okay. Ed. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Ed. Take care. That was good stuff, man. He yeah. Nobody knows their quarter horse racing more than Ed Burghardt. No, it's nice. Uh, Ed, Ed, as far as I was concerned, he, he knows, like you said, he knows every horse on the grounds. He makes the morning lines. He, he calls every single race. He handicaps every single race. He puts selections in. And when you do that for a couple months, it, it, not that it's ever easy, but it makes your job easier, a lot easier as far as Ed, you know, Ed knows all these horses. He just, he just knows them and you're not going to get the information and the insight from anyone like that. You know, it's, it, it, it's nice when you're able to, to focus on, on one track and you, you're never going to get any type of information from anyone that, that's not Ed Berger when it comes to low South quarter horses. So uh, hopefully we made you a little money this weekend with uh, some of Ed's analysis and selections. Okay, Mike, I got a random trivia quiz, Christmas trivia question for you. You're getting in this into the holiday spirit. In huh? the holidays. I'm going to sprinkle in some of these random Christmas movie trivia questions throughout the show. It, the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, if you add up all the gifts in The Twelve Days of Christmas, is it over or under 350 total gifts? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm going to go over. Over. 364. Nice job, Mike. You're already <laughs> one for one. You are good boy. Santa will be giving you a good present this year. Yes. And, uh, and we'll continue with a few more of these when Caleb comes on. But we do have a, a little football to talk about, right? This is a big weekend coming up with playoff implications. I think there are maybe three to four big NFL storylines this weekend. Yeah, and and only three or four good storylines yeah, because yeah. overall it's it's not a very good weekend of matchups. The cream's starting to rise to the top because there's a lot of games now and there's a lot of teams that are mathematically eliminated or teams that really don't have much to play for yet. So it it's not... Um, it's not sexy, but I think there are four this weekend. The Pat Steelers, they're going to be playing for the number one seed in the AFC. We're going to have the Chargers and the Chiefs. They're going to be playing for what will likely be the AFC West champion. The Rams and the Seahawks, they're going to be playing for what will likely be the NFC West champion. And we're going to have the return of Aaron Rodgers. He's got a really tough game in his first game back from injury. He's going to go on the road and play at Carolina. And it's just... There's an outside shot that Green Bay can still make it in. They have to beat Carolina, Minnesota, and go on the road and beat Detroit. That is not an easy schedule to close the season with Aaron Rodgers, who we don't even know for sure if he's 100% healthy. But if they went out and, you know, the key is Atlanta. Atlanta beat them. So they got to make sure that they are above Atlanta. They don't have to worry about a tiebreaker with the Falcons. They own a tiebreaker over the Seahawks. They own a tiebreaker over the Cowboys based on head-to-head victories. So if they end up tied with those two teams, they're going to be in. Does Green Bay have a shot here, Mike? I'm not sure that any of the teams that are currently 7-6 and six are going to have a legitimate shot because this is going to be tough. There's too many teams in front of them right now. Too many teams in front of them right now. And I, I still, I'm still big time on the Seattle bandwagon. So I would say that teams like Dallas and Green Bay need a lot to happen. Um, and, and I just don't see it happening. Yeah. So that, that's going to be interesting with, with Rodgers returning. Let's kind of briefly touch on the other couple games. Um, the first one, the Chargers-Chiefs. They both, this is kind of interesting. They both have four game losing streaks this year. And actually, the Chargers come into a game, into the game with a four game winning streak this year. This is a Saturday game. So remember now, we have a couple Saturday games this week, uh, 525 Pacific time on Saturday. 
in the four-game winning streak, the Chargers have outscored their opponents 131-53. to They did get beat earlier in the year by the Chiefs 24-10. So this is a massive, massive game because the Chiefs would have the, the tiebreaker and they would basically have a two-game lead over the Chargers with just three games left to go, which is two games left to go if they get the victory here. And the Chiefs would play the Dolphins and at the Broncos in their final two. The Chargers have to go to the Jets and then play the Raiders. You didn't mention this game when you and I talked about how this uh, the football slate for this weekend, and now I, I realize why, because you didn't even want to mention this conference and have to deal with the Raiders' egg that they laid last weekend. So I understand why you didn't mention it, Mikey. Ugly, ugly performance by the Raiders. But you know what? This is the most odd division that I can remember in a long time. At the beginning of the year, many people probably don't remember this, but the Broncos started off even 2-0, and they looked like world beaters for a little, bit, little, little while. The Raiders started off hot. The Chiefs beat the Patriots opening night. And they looked like they were a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And since then, things have just completely reversed. The Chargers started off, what, 0-4? And and now we're looking at a situation where you got three teams separated by one game. This is obviously going to be the big game. This game is a pick-em now. You know, uh, Vegas likes the Chargers. They're playing very well. Normally, at this point of the season, you're going to get like a playoff spread to where most teams get the three points at home. So Vegas thinks the Chargers are, you know, about a three-point better team than the Chiefs. They're going to be playing on the road. This is a a really, really big game for the Chargers. And it's funny, with all the talk about how Los Angeles hasn't really been supporting the NFL, we could have two teams hosting playoff games here this year, Mike, because the Rams and the Seahawks, they play a huge game. The Rams, they spit it out a little bit last week. They couldn't finish the job against the Eagles. They were up by four. And then Wentz got hurt and Nick Foles came in. There was a huge strip sack at the end of the game that really changed everything for the Rams. But I I do have to point out one key thing for the Rams. When they lose, it is not a coincidence when you look at Todd Gurley's rushing attempts. Gurley's rushing attempts in losses for the Rams. 16 against Washington, 14 against Seattle, 15 against Minnesota, and 13 against Philly. These are Gurley's rushing attempts in wins. 19, 28, 23, 22, 16, 11, 17, 19. So only one game where he's under 15, where he has 11, and that's a game they won. The other games, when when he's anywhere near 20, you're just going to get a situation where Gurley's so athletic, he's wearing down the defense, and it's just better for the time management. It's better for, um, you know, opening up the pass game for golf. I think they have to run the ball, Mikey. I think you're absolutely right. Let's pick up with the the uh, the rest of the the matchups that we want to talk about after the commercial break. I suspect that we've gone over. So let's take our first time out. We'll talk a little bit more NFL, and then we'll bring on our next guest, TVG's Caleb Keller. We'll be right back after a few short moments. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
If you're looking for more information on firearms and the shooting sports, check out Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Kelly is the owner of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks with over 40 years of experience. Now he's ready to share some industry luminaries and their perspectives with you. If you're interested in firearms, whether it be for shooting, for fun, competition, hunting, or self-defense, Kelly is here to share his wisdom and experience. Listen live for Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan, Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam have the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Mike and Gino talking a little NFL. Going to be joined by TVG's Caleb Keller momentarily. We want to wrap up some of this NFL conversation, Gino. We never made selections, so I'm going to go Panthers at home. And the Chargers are such a hot team. Hard to go against them. I don't think the Chiefs have really figured it out. I think they played a Raider team that kind of laid an egg more so than that they figured it out. So I'm going Chargers in that matchup for the two that we started off talking about. Yeah, I mean, everyone's going to be jumping on the Ron, uh, Rogers bandwagon this weekend. This, the line in that game, I think it's three. Uh, I think, uh, and they are on the road at Carolina. That's going to be a tough, tough spot. And the Panthers for, just don't get respect. No, they really don't. De- and the thing about Carolina is defensively, they're always good. You know, it's their offense sometimes that struggles when Cam is maybe having a, an off game or he's missing receivers or their their um, offensive line maybe struggles a little bit. Sometimes they can't get the run game going. But defensively, they're always very solid. I think the Pats are going to uh, bounce back this week. I've been a little concerned with the Steelers since the loss of Shazier. Um, you know, he had that really scary injury and he's had the spinal stabilita- uh, stabilization surgery. But in the middle there... I think you really saw and noticed last week, Alex Collins was able to rush for 120 yards. He had 46 yards receiving also for Baltimore. So I think with New England's running back game, the way that they're able to get their running backs involved with Burkhead, with Lewis, with White, I think the middle of the field is going to be a spot that they target. And remember, Gronk missed last week. He's going to be back this week too. I'm going to pick the Pats. I'm going to go with Carolina. I got to stick with my Rammies. And then we're going to go to, uh, I'm going to go to the Chargers as well. So, Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get a couple L.A. victories here for the Rams and the Chargers. 
Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of background interference. I don't know what's going on here, but uh, hopefully we can get that sorted out. But is it even possible for the New England Patriots to lose two games in a row? Yeah, I mean, I mean set aside is- the fact that they dominate the Steelers, you know, just historically, recent history, long-term history, middle-term history. But other than that, I think Belichick will get it right after getting embarrassed yeah, you're, by you're, a mediocre Dolphins team on Monday Night Football. You're worse off playing them after a loss, <laughs> honestly, because <laughs> if you play them, if you play them when they're going well, you might have the opportunity of doing what Miami did last week and just kind of sneak up on them and catch them on a night when Brady's just. A little bit off. He really, I, I don't, I'm not ready to have the is Brady done discussion, but he just didn't really look himself last week. And, you know, there was no Gronk. Hogan was just coming back. Um, they might have been looking past a uh, Miami team to the big matchup with the Steelers this week, but he was just missing throws. He looked a little slow and he, and he seemed like he was, he, he got hit a couple times and it was kind of in his head. He was kind of just kind of kneeling down and, uh, and wrapping up sometimes instead of really even um, living to fight uh, the play out. So, I think they're going to bounce back in a big way this week, and I expect you're going to see uh, you're going to see the Tom Brady. It'll probably be a really high scoring game. I just don't know if Pittsburgh can stop the the Patriots, and I think defensively that that injury is really really going to hurt them. Um, about halfway through the uh, the show now, and we have our second guest to bring on. This will be the uh, the man who will talk to you for the next fifteen twenty minutes. Who knows? Maybe all the way through the end of the show, we'll talk a little college basketball with my good friend Mike. And I think the first time. I ever uh, hung out with Caleb. I just met him uh, maybe once or twice, and we had a trip up to Emerald Downs for uh, for the late double show we were going to do up there. And Caleb and I, we did the broadcast uh, at night, and then afterwards, we it was just like a one, I think we were there for like a day, a day and a half maybe, literally. We flew up, watched the races, and then flew back. And when we got back to the hotel, Caleb and I just started chatting a little bit, and it's so funny. He and I are very similar in that we will not shut up if you get us talking. And I don't think either one of us slept that night. I think we stayed up talking to like five o'clock all the way through. And we've had a few nights like that where we'll just stay up. Caleb will usually be juggling his golf, uh, his golf ball with the uh, with the golf club, and we'll be watching some races or talking. But it's been a while, Caleb. How you doing, buddy? It has been, Gino. Mike, good to be on with you. And um, what's up, Caleb? Come on, talk about college basketball and horse racing. Oh yeah, uh, this this is your time of the year now, and uh, I know when it comes to um, when it comes the summer, and you're watching summer practices live streaming from uh, from the Hoosiers. I always know that when it's time to talk college basketball, we have to talk to you. So let's talk a little bit about your Hoosier team first this year. Kind of set the narrative for us. What is this team like? Who are some of the studs? What's kind of your storyline coming into this year? You're five and five right now. You've had a couple tough losses. You played a pretty tough schedule though so far. You already had to deal with Duke. Let us know a little bit about this Indiana Hoosier team. Well, it's gonna be a tough season. Uh, I mean, we lost a lot of talented players from last year. I know the Lakers have picked up Thomas Bryant. Maybe he'll make the squad. We lost Ananobi, who's gonna basically is already a starter for the Raptors, and then James Blackman, who's a real talented shooter from the state of Indiana. But I think overall, the state. Um, me being home right now in Indiana for a little early Christmas vacation. We're pretty excited, and mostly it's because of the coach. And, um, you know, Tom Crean did a lot to bring back the program, uh, maybe a little bit of unfair expectations. But at the same time, Tom Crean's always been known for player development, you know, Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade and so on, um, but maybe not tying it all together to, to really get those wins in the tournament. So I think Tom did a great job of, of bringing the program back. But Archie Miller coming from Dayton, I thought he did an incredible job at Dayton. I actually told my friends that, he was really on my radar. It was really, you know, Archie Miller, 
or Greg Marshall from Wichita that probably made the most sense to come to Indiana. And I was real happy with, with the Dayton coach. And, I mean, they went to the Elite Eight. Uh, they made the tournament four years in a row. The Atlantic 10 is a very tough conference. So it's a, it's a lot different because last year we were fun and flashy and sexy, whatever you want to call it, because we could put up points, but the, the scoreboard didn't look good at the end of the game. So now we're playing more of a defensive, uh, grinded-out type. Uh, we're able to throw the ball into the post. So, you know, for the betters out there, like I said, if you bet under on Indiana's games for the rest of the year, you, you should definitely make a flat-rate profit because people have looked at Indiana the last few years as this high-scoring, fun team, and it's not like that anymore. So the players on the court, um, you know, we got more than enough to, uh, to at least compete uh, in the Big Ten, but we'll be far from a banner year. But I think we all like where the program's going with the new coach, and I'm personally excited. He was really, to be honest with you guys, uh, he was my top, uh, my top coach all along if we, uh, if we got a new coach. So I'm real excited with Archie Miller, brother of Sean Miller. I know that Sean's been in a little hot water uh, at Arizona with some, with some allegations, but he, he, he seems pretty straight-edged, Archie. And I just like the, the ship that he runs, disciplinarian, uh, easy to understand. Sometimes Tom Crean, you, you know, you, you felt like he was a Martian talking after the game. He'd be like really reassuring after a loss. And, uh, you know, Archie will take one on the chin when he needs to. So this is kind of a transition year, but I like what I've seen so far. Maybe they'll develop. I mean, <laughs> we lost to Indiana State the first game of the season. Only I was going to say the first game of the year. Plus. Yeah, that oh was my the gosh, one that you was... probably had to have you scratching your head a little bit going, uh-oh. Guys, the only good thing about the Indiana State game is on Big Ten Plus, um, which – you know, you gotta you gotta pay for the extra outlet. So I only followed the score, and I'm just lucky to say that I didn't see that. But overall, <laughs> Indiana um, looking good with the new coach. But the Big Ten in general, I don't think it's really that strong this year. So I definitely don't have our conference rated as one of the top conferences in the country. That's for sure. Yeah, it looks like from a a top heavy standpoint, there's one of the best teams in the in the country with Michigan State, who is just year in and year out one of the best teams. They're currently at, at number two in the nation. They've they've already like they do every year, Caleb. They just don't they don't pull any punches. They face the big boys. They've already lost to Duke, but they beat North Carolina and Notre Dame. Uh, looks like Purdue has a good squad, but I I kind of agree with you. It looks like after that, you know, those teams from like three through seven or eight, nine in, in the Big Ten, it really could be anyone's game there. That's where your team might be able to grow a lot when you don't necessarily have to deal with top ten programs week in and week out. Totally agree. And, um, you know, Michigan State is the, is the big, ugly, green monster in the conference, and it kind of fits what they are. You look at Michigan State the last few years, what do they actually lack is they lack size. And that has changed because – you know, Tom Izzo, of course, Miles Bridges is kind of the poster boy of it. But uh, he brought in Jaron Jackson, uh, who is a real tall and athletic center. And this is the biggest Michigan State team I've ever seen. And I've followed them going all the way back to the Flintstones and, and Mateen Cleaves. So I think that they have this size that will really just put it to opponents. They're going to outsize a lot of opponents for probably at least, I would say, 14 wins in the conference. But, you know, in the whole realm of things, I'm a little worried about them. And I don't know if I'm necessarily – buying them as a, as a top national championship contender like most because now I'm wondering where the guard play is coming from. You know, yeah. they've had Tum Tum Naren, who has been okay, but stats-wise, I think he's got a cool nickname and he gets a little bit more pub than maybe he deserves. <laughs> so I see a lot of, uh, of big players. And what big teams do, like let's say Baylor, big teams really hurt you early in the season. Big teams, long arms, before offense hits their full stride, you know, they can really disrupt. So I think they're disrupting right now, and I do think they're uh, going to be a very nice squad, and I do think that they are going to be the best team in the Big Ten. But in terms of buying stock as the national champion, 
to me, they're basically Duke, but they don't have the guards and the shooting and the skill that Duke has. So I don't think they can beat Duke at their own game. And I think that the size might eventually run out a little bit uh, for everybody to be so high on the Spartans. Let's not forget the last two years, they haven't been the Spartans of old. And when you look at the good Spartan teams, you know, your Mateen Cleese and Morris Peterson and uh, Jason Richardson of the world, those are guards and shooters. So this is a different-looking Michigan State team. I like the size early, but let's see if the guard play comes around come tournament time. Caleb, let me ask you a question more from a philosophical perspective. I don't follow a ton of college basketball until the uh, turn of the year, and I get more into it as we get closer to March Madness. I'm more of an NFL guy, as Gino knows. But would you say that there are some elements from the NBA that are starting to be emulated in, in college basketball, or have we not seen that yet in terms of spacing, in terms of you know bombs away, three-point shooting, that type of thing? Um, or, or have we not see, seen that penetrate into the college game? Um, I think that there's, there's still a, a team aspect to it. You know, NBA, you're mostly finding matchups that you like. We, we, we like this guy versus this guy, so let's clear out and give it to him. Not as much, even though some teams are running pro-style offenses, but I think that there is really almost uh, a crisis in college basketball right now with this one-and-done. And you only have to look at the NFL because, you know, last year who led the league in rushing? It was Ezekiel Elliott. He was a rookie. Okay, who you might say, well, he was behind the Dallas Cowboys offensive line. But who was second? It was Jordan Howard, another rookie. Dak Prescott. You, know, you look at this year, the Saints have been revitalized because of Kamara, who's a rookie, and Marshawn Lattimore, a cornerback, who's a rookie. So when Hunt these NFL from, players uh, go the for Chiefs, three years, yeah. they're, they're ready to come in. So are you kind of in a, in a way saying that rather than the one and done, it might be better for some of these guys to um, play maybe in Europe or in another professional league? Lithuania, where, go play with the ball. <laughs> don't don't get me get started on that one. But, you know, maybe somewhere where there's more of a team-oriented aspect of, of basketball rather than going to a program and being one and done? I think it's a problem with the rules. And if they just adopted the NFL's rules of saying, let's say, stay two or three years. Let's say two at the minimum, Okay. Rookies don't make impacts in the NBA. I mean, the rookie of the year last year was, I think, Malcolm Brogdon. Did, did you guys, I mean, have you guys seen Malcolm Brogdon play? How, how good, they don't make an impact. I even asked my buddy, I'm like, give me one rookie in the NBA that's made an impact in the last five years. You, you can't name one. You really can't. No, you can't. So you give these NFL players three years to develop. They come in and they change franchises. The Saints were no good last year. Now they basically got the Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year, and now the Saints are a Super Bowl contender. So it's just they act like the NBA wants the quickest access to the best talent, when in reality, these, these guys, Brandon Ingram, as you guys know, needs more time. Ball, need, they all need more time. And now the, the draft picks aren't really worth anything because they'll shove around draft picks. Jimmy Garoppolo got traded for a second-round pick. The NFL, the, the, the draft picks have leverage. The NBA, they don't, and it all comes down to the rules. So... College basketball, as much as I love it, the level of play is, is descending. It's just not getting better. You know, this, the best team this year is probably not as good as the 2011 Kentucky team. And that team is probably not as good as the 2002 Duke team. And, that, and so on. So the product and the sport and the level of play is not getting better, and it all comes down to that one-and-done rule. And until they, they change it, I'll still love college basketball. But from us being you know, horse racing handicappers and looking at level of play – it's just not there anymore, and it's, it's not getting any better. It's just a product of, of the system. We're here talking with Caleb Keller from 
TVG, but uh, we're not going to be talking as much horse racing today because it's college basketball season. And Caleb's from Indiana. He's a Hoosier. And when basketball is on, we will be chatting it. Now, Caleb, let's expand a little bit. We'll kind of rapid fire through a couple of the conferences and uh, get give me who you who you like or just kind of anything that comes to your mind. The ACC so far, I mean, they have 15 teams, but you have Duke, who's at number four right now. Miami's at six. North Carolina's at seven. Virginia's at 16. Notre Dame's at 18. Florida State's at 19. Then you have Boston College, who just beat Duke. Duke's actually... 15th currently in the conference because they're 0-1 in the in-conference, but they do have some wins, uh, big wins early on. They beat Michigan State, they beat Texas, they beat Florida, they beat Indiana. Um, any overall thoughts of Duke or any of these other big boys in the ACC? Um, I mean, I love Duke like everybody else. Boston College was, uh, you know, give, give credit to home court, it's going to happen, but for them to come back against Texas and for them to come back against a really good Florida team and for them to take Indiana's best punch and best crowd, Duke, it, it, to me, I know Villanova right now is number one, and Villanova's a classy program, but Duke's a clear, if we're talking buyer points, Duke's a good five or six buyer points better than any team right now, and I think they're going to be very tough to stop. I mean... Uh, we had a uh, little technical difficulties there with Caleb, so hopefully we can get him back on the line in just a second, talking some uh, ACC basketball there, but uh, Mikey, that's a stacked, absolutely stacked ACC there from top to bottom as he was kind of rattling through with Virginia, Notre Dame, Florida State. Those are all top 25 teams right now. Uh, the ACC and the Big 12, as far as the rankings are concerned, they have um, you know a lot of the, the top teams, and it, it's been the Big 10 and really the Pac-12, and I say this as a guy out here on the West Coast, I've been really disappointed in the Pac-12 basketball-wise. Arizona Arizona, and USC were both top 10 teams to start the year, and they have both lost three games apiece. And now we're talking about ASU, Arizona State. The Sun Devils are a, a team on the national landscape right now. They are the number five team in the nation. They're 9-0. and They have wins over Kansas State, Kansas, Xavier, and St. John's, and they have an incredible guard in Trey Holder um you know it's funny the way the landscape has shaped so quickly and shifted in the Pac-12 so early on in this season because you know Mike even someone that doesn't watch you're normally used to seeing Arizona up at the top UCLA and this was it was supposed to be USC's year if anybody didn't know it I'm sure they they've heard me not shut up about it for the months leading into the season, and I'm I'm so disappointed in the way the Trojans have started the year. Yeah, it's it's been very disappointing, top to bottom for the Pac-12 outside of ASU, like you said. And the thing is, they haven't even got into conference play yet in the in the Pac-12, so we can't even have the excuse that they're just all beating up on each other, and that's why they've got so many losses on the record. Let's pick up with the college basketball convo right after the first the second commercial break on our show, and uh, we'll see if we could get Caleb Keller back on with us as well. So let's take a quick time out here, and we will be back with more college basketball talk, Mike and Gino, and hopefully Caleb as well. See you in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. 
Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network. And let's talk football. We're talking Western Ambush this week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, taking a closer look at all the amazing big game hunting opportunities found in the Western states. Joining us is Jason Matzinger, host of Into High Country, Jill Gector from Cinch Jeans, Dean Capuano of Sawarski Optic Quest, and Freddie Hartice of Hollywood Hunter. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside of the minds of the players and coaches? We'll talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college football. We'll review and preview the week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Mike and Gino hanging out with DBG's Caleb Keller. And actually, before we get back into the college basketball talk, I've got an email from an emailer. This is Jason from Dublin, California. And he's got a question for Caleb. I'm not sure if you're going to have an answer for this, but I will read it anyways. Basically, the question is, if sports wagering becomes legalized, will I be able to make sports wagers on TVG slash Betfair? Oh, I'm, I'm sure we'd be at the forefront. I mean, Betfair, who ended yeah. up uh, buying us, is a European betting establishment. As you, you guys know, um, betting on games is much more popular or um, accepted, if you will, in Europe. So trust me, if it gets passed, um, the guys working up there on the eighth floor will uh, we'll try to make it happen quicker than anybody. I'll piggyback yep. on that as someone who worked at TVG for a while. That's that's something that's been that that's what Betfair wanted to do when they came over here with the exchange in mind and expanding into kind of poker into all aspects of sports betting. So yeah, that would that'd be an absolute. Um, and, and just a guess here, it seems like everything that's good always happens in New Jersey first for some reason, right? So <laughs> <laughs> hopefully hopefully we'll get a piece of that out here in California. Hey, WrestleMania 4 and WrestleMania 5 there. So I think you're right. You're right, Mikey. Uh, <laughs> wasn't thinking about those, but I got you, Gino. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're here with uh, Caleb Keller. We're talking some college basketball. We moved from the ACC kind of into what, what's been a pretty disappointing conference, Caleb. Um, I was talking to Mike a little bit about this uh, when you were off, but – I was so excited about this year for my Trojans. We, we got up to number eight. Uh, it looked like Arizona and USC have really good teams coming back. And then three really disappointing losses for, for USC. Now, I, I do think they should have won. They could have won and should have won any of those games. They didn't shoot the ball well. But I will preface it with saying 
they do have um, Melton, who will likely be a pick somewhere in the late first round, early second round, that has not been able to play yet because of all of these issues that happened preseason. Uh, uh, supposedly, he has been um, excused of anything. He had no involvement with anything, but USC just does not want to have him play a game and then a ruling come out where they have to get, um, they have to lose games or this season will not count because with uh, Reggie Bush, with OJ Mayo, this is something that is a, a sensitive subject to the Trojans. But, you know, we've seen Arizona and USC be a little bit disappointing. But, Caleb, have you got this, to watch this Arizona State team at all? Coached by Bobby Hurley, they've got some huge early wins. Arizona State's been incredible, and you know I, I looked at the ESPN Power Rankings. And I think they actually have Arizona State number one. Which yeah, you know if you look at even the even the win against Xavier, Xavier's a heck of a team that almost got to the Final Four last year. And you know Bobby Hurley ha- has shown that he's still got the Duke pedigree, and it really comes out of Trey Holder. And I like a college team when your best players your guard. You know my little little knock on Michigan State was that their best players are bigs, and Trey Holder's been incredible. I mean scoring guard from anywhere, can drive, keeps the offense running. I mean, I, I really gave them a little chance uh, against Kansas. And, of course, they pulled out the 10-point victory. So Arizona State uh, versus Arizona actually happens early in the Pac-12 calendar. That's going to be way more fascinating than it usually is. And, you know, Gino, for USC, I think you know, USC is on the upstart. Let's not forget, it wasn't too long yeah. ago where USC basketball was like Indiana football. You know, it's like no, you're right. it's a secondary sport at a school and whatnot. USC basketball, though, is a little analogous to, let's say, Oklahoma State football. They want to score and score and score and score. And it's a fun brand of basketball, and they can and, and will outscore a lot of opponents. But the mindset of scoring needs to be meshed a little bit more uh, with defense. So USC is a quality team this year. Arizona State, let's see how far they can keep it running. I mean, nobody's ready for the Sun Devils to be in the top ten. I mean, it just looks weird, but it's deserved. And then Arizona – I still think Arizona's really going to get it figured out yeah. here by the end of the year. I mean, they've got uh, a top freshman who's going to be a potentially a top 10 pick. Alonzo Trier is still incredible. Uh, Parker Jackson Cartwright. Uh, this team always trends well at the end of the year. So I know they had, well, they finished eighth in a, in a field of eight for, I think, their own tournament. So they've got some early season woes. But Arizona, I, I, I still will stick with the class of, of the conference. I think Arizona's going to get the ship righted. And I still think. Whether they've got this allegation or whether you like him or not, Sean Miller's still waiting to break through to the Final Four. He's been to the Elite Eight so many times, and even with these three losses, I'm definitely not discrediting them to have their first Final Four with Sean Miller coming up in, in 2018. Well, you, you talked about USC struggling on defense, a team that they couldn't stop. Looks interesting in the Big 12 to me, and they're led by another stud young guard. Now, I don't know how good as a team they are because this is a team that, just like USC, they want to score, 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 and they don't want to play any defense whatsoever. But Oklahoma and Trey Young, Trey Young is an absolute stud. The Big 12 looks pretty deep this year. You know, you, you have West Virginia, Kansas, TCU, Baylor, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and Texas that all look to be pretty decent programs. I think Big 12 is the sizeiest conference. I mean, Baylor's larger than life. Texas with Shaka Smart. I think Texas is a little bit of that, you know, once again, secondary sports school. I mean, it's a football school. I think Texas has been somewhat held back with their 24-7, you know, TV programming because, you know, when Charlie Strong's average, we got 24 hours to talk about it. When the basketball team's average, we got 24 hours to talk about it. But they got a big guy named Mo Bamba, once again, following along with the trend of having size in the conference. So I think they've got the scariest size. And 
maybe you could argue I think they've probably got the most depth. I think you bring up a good point, Gino, on Oklahoma. So, you know, how's it been 14 times in a row that, uh, you know, Kansas has, has won the Big 12? You're telling me not one time in that span, you know, Oklahoma who reached the Final Four or Texas that reached the Final Four, TJ Four. Baylor, oh, Baylor's had some good squads, yeah, the off. last few years. I'm with you. Durant, the Durant-Texas years, you know, that USC played Durant uh, uh, that year when Durant was uh, was good. And then in the Big East, you mentioned Villanova. They've just become such an incredible program uh, over there. It's it's unbelievable year in and year out. Xavier uh, is a good squad. Seton Hall is making some noise. Creighton's not a bad squad. Um the Big East is okay this year. They're not, you know, they're they're a, an average an average conference is one of these power conferences. You know, they, they might actually be above average because think about it. ACC has got a contract with ESPN, so they ESPN got fifteen teams too. ACC, <laughs> and even too, the Big East has got a new contract a couple years running with Fox Sports One. Now, I've even looked. ESPN on their website doesn't even give much love to Big East on their highlights because they're not going to try to promote Fox. But I think with a smaller group. I think they have actually 10 teams where some of these, you got extra, you know, 14, 15 league, uh, team leagues, which is a little too much. But, you know, Villanova reminds me a little bit of Clemson football because we know Villanova's a good program going back to, what, like the 80s when they pulled a big upset over Georgetown. They've always been a respected brand, but they haven't been a North Carolina or a Duke or a Kansas. But now, just like Clemson football, you look up at the standings and they're one, two, or three. So Villanova's a measuring stick, and I think Teams grow from playing a, a, a team that's that well coached. Xavier, very strong. But I really think that um, a Final Four dark horse here, I had a couple of uh, teams. I'd put, you know, big odds, $20 uh, to have a chance for, uh, for a 1000 come back if a team were to go to all, all the way. But my Final Four dark horse is Seton Hall. You know, Seton Hall had basically uh, a domination on the boards last year, which started with their big guy, Angel Delgado. They got everybody back. And if you look at North Carolina last year, what they do? They dominated the boards. You know, last year's North Carolina squad, their offensive rebounds was about 40%. So essentially, almost half the time that they shoot it, they'd get it again and shoot it again. And nobody could really rebound against them, and they'd limit offenses to one shot. So they got Desi Rodriguez, who's a left-handed guard. I think he's really crafty. I know in the day and age now, we're looking more for talent of Duke as opposed to experience of, let's say, Seton Hall. But their three best players are seniors. Kevin Willard has got this team humming the last two years. Seton Hall has been playing the best basketball in late February. Got taken out by Gonzaga a couple years ago, who went on a huge run. They've had some unfavorable matchups. But with the experience and the size and the domination on the boards, I really think Seton Hall, who only has one lonely loss this year by a point to Rhode Island and some good wins, including at Louisville, I think Seton Hall, guys, is really a dark horse to not only – you know, make a name for themselves and win a game. I think they got a chance to, to maybe be the, the surprise team to go to the Final Four. And on that note, Caleb, we got about a minute and a half before the show closes. Just really quickly, I always am interested in some of those dark horse, long shot type, uh, I was going to say horses, uh, college basketball teams for making a deep uh, March Madness run. What are your thoughts about maybe, um, well, Wichita State is no longer a dark horse, but I like smaller schools, smaller programs that make big noise. What about like the Gonzagas? You mentioned them earlier, or even St. They're Mary's. Not like, they're not small either anymore. Yeah, you know? yeah. That's the but, thing. They, they become these, the, Wichita State is a top, a top program. We didn't really mention the SEC with Kentucky, A&M, Tennessee, Florida. We'll, we'll definitely have to well, get they, they get enough. They on. get enough hype as it yeah. is anyways, you know? Well, what about like the St. Mary's, you know, programs one like more, that? I'll give you one, one, more, one more quick one for you. I don't know we're down time. Here's your Cinderella to write down on a piece of paper. All right, I got my pen. Write Nevada down. 
Mountain West. Eric Musselman used to be with the Warriors and the Kings. It's an NBA yep. type coaching staff. They've worked transfers as opposed to recruits. Last year they had the best season basically in school history. They got most players back. They got a horrible matchup last year. They were 12 against the five-seeded Iowa State, who had just won the Big 12 tournament. Got a horrible matchup. I'm telling you right now, Nevada is a team who I think will make the tournament and come out of the Mountain West. And I think they can make at least a potential run to the Sweet 16. Nevada has got the two front runners for Player of the Year in the Mountain West. And I think that coaching staff with former you know, coaches like, let's say, at LSU, former NBA coaches, top transfers coming in, Nevada's a basketball town. They made a tournament last year. Nevada is the team that I've got as my sleeper Cinderella. Good strength of schedule, strong RPI. Uh, that, that sounds like a good pick. I have written it down. Caleb, Caleb, give me a rapid fire on a couple of these, Caleb. What Christmas song is the best-selling single in history? White Christmas. Boom. Nicely done, Caleb. This one you'll there get very go. easily. 1983 classic, You'll Shoot Your Eye Out. Christmas Story. Boom, there you go. Wow. Uh, Christmas Halloween animated movie by Tim Burton. Night Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas, I'll give it to you. And the last one, Nightmare 19, <laughs> 1994 movie, The Santa Claus. What tool man played the main character, Scott Calvin, who becomes Santa? I watched it with my nieces two nights ago. Tool time, Tim himself. There you wow. go, Tim the Allen. Clean sweep. Well That's done, outstanding. Caleb. Impressive. Give us good, your plugs. Where can we find stuff. you, Caleb? Uh, at KLTVG on Twitter, and uh, me and my buddy actually are working on a, uh, a March Madness podcast. It's called More Than March. We got it on SoundCloud and at MarchPod on Twitter. So it's a fun thing. It's my college roommate, one of my best friends from uh, Indiana growing up. So we wrap hoops maybe uh, once a week, talk some college b-ball. But it's been a heck of a time talking with you. And uh, like I said, easy sell to come on and talk hoops. Yeah, we'll, yeah we'll absolutely. Push that, we'll push that podcast out for you, and we will bring you back on uh, before when the brackets come out so we can break down all the brackets. And uh, maybe even before that, again, kind of like a midseason um, once conference play starts and everybody plays one round through. Definitely. Yeah, we'll looking forward to that one. The trail. Thanks, Caleb. Outstanding. That's good stuff. Talking. We want to thank Ed Burgar and Caleb Keller for bringing it strong today. We want to thank you, the listeners, for joining us. And next week, we've got an NFL doubleheader. We've got active current New Orleans Saints player Zach Wood and we've got retired Oakland Raider fan favorite Kenny Shedd get we to will iTunes, see guys. five star ratings five star reviews if you can those help us move up the charts we really appreciate them yes please thank you for listening happy holidays everybody we'll see you guys next Thursday thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir show Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.